1: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast, Week 13 Recap Edition. Uh, I'll tell you what, the NFL is nothing if not entertaining. We have so many huge storylines to track as we are now about a week into December football, four weeks left in the season, crazy stuff happening all over the week. Uh, And I I could not imagine a better co-host then my buddy EJ Snyder to sit here with me and have some drinks and talk through it all. EJ, how you doing and what are you drinking? I'm fine. I am just hanging on for the ride like most NFL
0: fans at this point. Uh, things are starting to get a little bit disparate. Some teams are out of it. People are talking about draft position. Some teams are on the edge of it, might squeak into the playoffs. Some teams are trying to finish strong uh and other fans are just trying to win their fantasy tournaments so uh everybody's got a little bit of a different lens this time of year it hasn't sort of narrowed down to the playoff roster yet but uh hanging on it was a very full week full slate of games kind of forget what that's like when you're having bye weeks and then i have to sit down and watch all the games and i was like whoa there's a lot of football here um But push through it, got a great show for everybody. Uh, I am drinking, uh, for my beer, I brought on a Northwest staple, Alaskan Amber. Very easy drinking, malty, sort of red beer with a lot of flavor in it. I like it. It's something I drink fairly often. And for my shot, uh, I went straight to my people's water. uh, Just good old Jameson in a glass with ice. Um, We have got a worthy bootleg shot of the week winner uh from
1: last week and we will get to that and celebrate him with a little bit of irish what do you have so for my shot i got pendles in midnight just because i i wanted oh. something that would go down easy uh, i didn't want to wreck myself too bad on a uh on a thursday night <laughs> or wednesday night whatever day it is clearly <laughs> what day is it <laughs> yeah well it's december you know everything just kind of bleeds together the season. it's blurs day it's Blursday. day So I got Pendleton Midnight for my shot, and then uh, for my sipper tonight, I got a little bit of Four Roses Small Batch. I don't think I've had that on the podcast yet. It's actually a a blend of four different bourbons, uh, four different offerings from Four Roses. Kind of a medium age, it's like age six to seven years. Uh, A lot of bourbons off the shelf, uh, you'll see like three or four years, and the the higher quality stuff, um, usually get like a 10-year age statement. I think Eagle Rare is 10, it might be 12. Um, but I, I tend to like, uh, pretty much anything six or above. So this is kind of the, the minimum for me in terms of age for a bourbon. Cause I, I really like, uh, to get a little bit of the, the woodiness in there and the barrel spice, but small batch, uh, from four roses is just phenomenal stuff, especially at the price point. It's like 35 bucks a bottle, which is not bad. So, uh, that's what I got going with me tonight. Uh, Why don't we start things off tonight by getting into the point after where we talk about something that uh, we did not get to last episode. We're not talking about a game specifically here, but I I do feel like at the time they had won three games in a row. Now they've won four games in a row, and uh, I feel like at some point we got to acknowledge that Dave Gettleman's built himself a nice little roster there up in New York.
0: Yeah, I am glad that I have a couple of things to drink because I'm going to have to wash down a little crow. Folks that follow me uh, either on Twitter or this podcast know that I give Dave Gettleman his fair share of crap. I disagree with many of his decisions and uh, you can argue that, but we both thought he had a pretty good draft this year. We thought that the draft really came to him, played to his strengths, and and he didn't veer. Uh He took what it offered, and that is playing out here at the end of the season. This is an exciting young team that's coming together, and they are improving. That is my favorite thing about the Giants right now, is whether or not they're winning games, they are playing better now, uh, both individually and as a team, than they did at the beginning of the year. The young O-line with Thomas and Lemieux, Jabril Peppers is playing much better, I think, than he has almost ever in his career he's becoming a force. Wayne Gallman's had to step in in Saquon Barkley's absence, and he's played very, very well. The staff understands how to use him. Evan Ingram really was in sort of no man's land at the beginning of the season. We've seen him come on strongly over the last three weeks, and Leonard Williams, a guy that we sort of wrote off for dead or as a as a not great addition to the Giants roster, a bit of a boondoggle for what Gettleman paid for him, and then he re-upped him, and we just thought that was a silly move. Well, it's paying off. Leonard Williams is bought into Joe Judge's system and is playing extremely well, has a bunch of pressures, more sacks than he's had in years. And overall, as a team on both sides of the ball, Giants are playing better football. And that's what you want to see from a sort of young, developing roster it makes the Giants a really good spot to be and also sets the level so that they can go get some talent they want to sort of put the cherry on top. They're not building a foundation. They've already done that. And that's impressive. So Gettleman deserves his props, as much crap as I give him. Got to give him props when things work out and things are definitely working out in New York right now.
1: And I also want to say, uh, credit to Joe judge for being willing to act quickly and making changes on his staff where necessary. Uh, they fired offensive line coach uh, Mark Colombo a couple weeks back. There was reports of like a fight or something like that. I don't really know. I don't really know if that's true. Like the report was refuted and I, I I don't really want to get into what's true and what's not true. All, all we know is that Mark Colombo got fired. Um, But we've seen a remarkable improvement with Andrew Thomas throughout the season that has spiked significantly even more since Colombo was fired. And he's starting to look like his old self that he was uh, back at Georgia. He started out in the first month and a half of the season giving up about six pressures a game, which was the worst rate for any tackle in the league And then up through the first 10 games, he got it down to about four and a half pressures a game, which was improvement. But since Colombo was fired, so they've played two games since then against uh, Cincinnati and Seattle. Seattle's actually got one of the better pass rushes in the league at this point. Uh, They've led in terms of total number of sacks over the last month uh, across the entire league. In the last two games since Colombo was fired, Andrew Thomas has not given up a single pressure. So clearly something has helped him. Perhaps having a different voice in that offensive line room or Joe Judge reportedly was stepping in and teaching him some different stuff. So I think that um, his willingness to, again, make quick changes on his staff to improve what was being taught to his players should be commended. And so far, it looks to have worked. Again, this team's on a four-game winning streak. They've got some young talent. Uh, I still have questions about quarterback with with, with or without Daniel Jones. I have questions with quarterback for them. But there's some young talent to be excited about here. I I really like what their coaching staff is doing. And I don't know if they're like a legitimate threat in the NFC, but I do think at this point they're probably the favorite to win the division and, and that should be celebrated.
0: Yeah, they remind me a little bit of the Dolphins at the end of last year. Right, A team that Mm -hmm. started off last year, sort of everybody was talking about the tank. They had a new staff. They had a new GM. They were sort of offloading talent, got rid of Minka. Then at the end of the year, started to put together some good games, play some good football, win some games, and really set themselves up to become the team we're seeing this year, which is a highly competitive squad. I feel like the Giants are following a little bit of that pathway, that template and could be that team next year again depending on how the next draft goes depending on how the next free agency cycle goes you know they've got stability uh presumably at gm and coach which is the all-important handshake in the nfl and if they add you know quarterback talent now they may be sold on daniel jones neither of us are but they've got good offensive pieces surrounding them they've got you know slayton and engram and saquon coming back hopefully healthy and even if he doesn't wayne gallman can keep the seat warm very well the young offensive line drafted three pieces last year all of them seem to be contributing fairly decently uh the defense is getting big contributions from role players james bradbury has been an a plus free agency ad like this is a team that if it adds a few pieces a few more impact pieces maybe a little bit more pass rush this is a team that can make some noise and the NFC East not typically strong Washington football team another team that's sort of getting its legs under it could be sort of adding some spice to that division but the Giants are in it and uh, another good offseason could really propel them into being a competitive football team on a regular basis.
1: Yeah I'm I'm excited to see where they go and at this point I would imagine that. That uh, Gettleman's job is is safe now uh, with this kind of last little month they've had. I think Joe Judge uh, has done a good job, and I'm I'm willing to give this another year to see where it goes. They got to hit on quarterback. They have to hit on quarterback. But if they do hit on quarterback, I I like where this is going. Yeah, absolutely, and that leads us
0: into the bootleg shot of the week winner from last week. We had a bunch of great nominees, but. I got to shine for this one. I don't know why.
1: Jalen Johnson,
0: <laughs> rookie Bears corner out of Utah, physical guy, leveling Alan Lazard on the crosser, is the winner from last week. He absolutely put on a clinic to the point where the announcer, who was Tony Dungy for that game, was saying, this is how you do it. Get the head down. Make sure you don't hit the opposing player's head. Hit him in the midsection. Square up. Deliver the blow. It was a beautiful shot. I'm sure Lazard doesn't think so, but uh, perfect in terms of technique. I'm going to take a little Jameson's, celebrate. Cheers.
1: <sighs> oh, that goes down so
0: good. Yeah, nice chill JMO, man. That's still, I don't know, the Irish do a few things right, and uh, that's one of them. So. Yeah, the
1: Can- the Canadians aren't doing bad with the uh, with Pendleton. Oh, there. Pendleton Midnight's <laughs> great. I, I it's
0: funny because Midnight's kind of the upgunned version of of the premium version, if you will, of regular Pendleton. And I like regular Pendleton. Uh, I actually debated on having some of that. Uh, I've got a bottle of that upstairs. But Midnight's one of those rare variants where I like Midnight and I like Pendleton. I like them both about the same. They're different, but they're both really enjoyable. And I don't prefer one or the other. They're. Um, Usually it's kind of like, oh, the premium stuff's really good there. ah the base stuff's a little bit better. And they they try to do too much with the premium stuff. But um, no, Pendleton and Pendleton Midnight, different, but both good. Yeah. So we've got games.
1: Yeah. Why don't we get into uh, Eagles Packers here? Because there's a lot to unpack. No pun intended. Uh, (laughs) Why don't we start with kind of the elephant in the room here? Carson Wentz uh, has been benched. Jalen Hurts. Is now the starter going forward. Uh, Did you like what you saw from Hertz in the limited action in this game? And uh, do you think that he has a shot against the Saints defense?
0: Oh, against the Saints defense is going to be fun moving into next week because the Saints defense is nasty. And yeah. uh they don't give up a lot of yards uh, through the air, and they definitely don't give up a lot of yards to running quarterbacks. I saw a stat today about the total number of yards that they've given up to quarterback scrambles, and it's extremely low. And we all know as a developing starter in the NFL with mobility, you're gonna use that as you're out. And Hertz could have a tough sled uh trying to use that this week against a very good Saints defense. I did like what I saw in limited action. Uh, The bar's pretty low there. Carson has regressed to a point where he's clearly not comfortable. Uh, His clock seems to be gone. He's panicking almost just post-snap. There's very little processing going on. His eyes are looking to the rush really, really quickly, and he's ducking his head. Uh, It's just not good with Carson right now. And Hertz, uh, didn't display any of that, had a couple of nice completions, a little bit of improvisation, which is not surprising to any of us who've watched him, uh, at any of his stops or through the draft process. So I think there's hope uh, for Eagles fans, I think they're going to be excited to be able to watch that for the end of the season. Uh, remains to be seen what happens with, uh, Carson in the off season, the coaching staff. There's a lot of questions around the Eagles, but the last three or four games, I think Eagles fans are going to have a lot more fun and probably success overall watching Jalen Hurts than they would Carson Wentz in his current state.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I'm a big Jalen Hurts guy I had him as a first round talent coming out. Uh, just, Knowing his accuracy in college, again, he was one of the most accurate quarterbacks in all of college football for his last two years. It wasn't just a a one-year thing in the Big 12 where it's wide open spaces. Like, even when he was backing up Tua where he got significant playing time, he was even more accurate statistically than Tua was. So he's, he's become a very good passer or a very good thrower of the football in his own right, characters off the charts. Uh, great physical abilities, uh, particularly with his legs. Uh, one of the better runners in terms of quarterbacks with the ball in his hands outside of probably Lamar. <laughs> like He's probably the most dominant runner that I've seen. Like I, I still remember going back to his freshman year in Alabama where they were running like option with him because he still wasn't really developed as a passer and just him carrying the ball was the most unstoppable play in football that year. It was insane how incredible he was at churning out yards. It's just incredibly strong lower body. So I'm, I'm really big on Jalen hurts really, really big. And uh, I think he acquitted himself well against the Packers. Uh, You know, the pressure was relentless because they were behind, um, took a, took three sacks there. And as a result, his passer rating under pressure was like 15 or 16. It was pretty low because again, they, they just were sending the hounds after him. He was getting blitzed like crazy. Uh, but when he was not pressured, he had almost a perfect passer rating. So again, if you can protect him or at least, uh, at least give him some, some avenues to escape so that he can run to throw, uh, like his touchdown, uh, his really nice touchdown throw that he had. Again, he was able to find an avenue of escape, uh, find a lane, get out in space, and throw a really nice ball down the field for a score. Uh, if, if you can do that, I think he can he can be a very, very good quarterback for you. But you got to protect him for at least two seconds. Because that was also a big problem with Wentz is he was not very good under pressure at all. They couldn't pass, protect, and it was just making his problems even worse. So going forward, yeah. number one priority. There is this... St-
0: there's a stat coming out of the broadcast that it was this one just killed me i had to replay it and make sure that i heard it correctly wentz's 10th consecutive game that he's been sacked at least three times it's it's been a bad That's bad year 30 for sacks in 10 games and, yeah. and more actually because they wasn't they didn't stop at three some of those defenses and i was just like oh man if you're you know it looked sacks come in bunches and we've all seen really good quarterbacks take a, a handful of sacks in a game four or five they're just those days that it doesn't work out and you spin left and you should have spun right and i get it but when you're talking about 10 consecutive games we're 13 12 13 games into the season that he's taken basically three sacks at least every outing you just start to talk about sacks as impact plays um sacks have a large influence on whether or not the drive continues and if you're taking three of them per game every game for 10 straight games it really is having an overall sort of wet blanket effect on your offense that is hard to to counteract it's it's almost like turnovers right if you have a you know if you have two turnovers a game for 10 straight games you're probably not going to win most of those games you have three sacks for 10 straight games your chances of winning those games are going down
1: and that's a big reason why I got benched is because he was constantly like, it's not even like all those sacks were on the offensive line. A significant number of them were on Wentz himself, running himself into pressure, holding the ball for too long. Um, it's there. There's, I think uh, when I charted it, there was like five or six turnovers this year, just from him holding the ball for too long and refusing to give up and just throw it away or just get down. Um, and so it's that's been a major problem for him. And luckily, you know, for the Eagles, all the sacks that Jalen Hurts took, none of them were his fault. That was just you know bad offensive line play. He wasn't yeah. running himself into pressure. He had a honestly a much better feel for pressure than Carson did, as you said. So I think if there's any quarterback on the roster that they can make this work with this bad of an offensive line, or at least this banged up of an offensive line, uh, yeah. it's it's Jalen Hurts because at least he still can navigate. A messy pocket. Carson at this point, I can't think of a single thing he's good at. Like at all.
0: No, he's and he's showing it immediately, which is the problem. Like literally one second after the snap, he's looking skittish. He puts his head down, he starts darting around. Like the play is essentially over at that point. He's not even looking downfield at his options, certainly not going through his reads. It's a tremendous transformation from the Carson Wentz we saw a couple of years ago so and you know on the other side if you flip the mirror around it's you know Aaron Rodgers who looks as cool as a cucumber didn't help that Philadelphia gave him a million years I wrote a million years in the notes it was 5.45 seconds actually to throw (laughs) on the play where he found Tanyan for a score 5.45 seconds is twice the average that a quarterback's going to get to throw in this league You cannot give a guy like Rodgers that kind of time, but when he's got it, and even when he doesn't, he looks extremely comfortable. He's just flipping it out there this year, and he looks relaxed as ever, which is amazing. What Rodgers is doing this year is MVP-type stuff. Um, He could very well win the MVP this year. I think it's strongly between him and Mahomes, especially with Russell Wilson faltering um on and off over the last month but rogers is just such a study in poise and mastery of the offense at this point and his connection with Devontae adams we talk about it every week but they were backed up in their own end zone he just hung out in the end zone no worries about pressure threads a dime to adams of course and, oh, for 40 yards
1: such a good ball i don't know how it got in there i mean it it must have grazed the fingertips of two eagles on the way there
0: right but he threw it as if he had not a care in the world like it was a walk in the park he's in his own end zone he gets 40 yards not cushion not a little breathing room 40 yards they start Mm -hmm. basically at midfield after that throw and it didn't even look hard and it's a very difficult play to make in the nfl um you know third and three he just lobs it to lazard for like 20 plus yards effortless it's just staggering the amount of ease he has playing quarterback in the nfl right now it just doesn't even look hard and it's one of the hardest things to do in the
1: world and that's
0: just stunning
1: one of my favorite tweets from all of eagles twitter by the way if you guys have never checked out eagles twitter during an eagles game (laughs) it's phenomenal (laughs) It's oh, the best place man. on the internet. It's so good. Between uh, Kist and Solak and Brandon Lee Gowton and, all, you know, all the Eagles fans. It's just, it's hilarious. That and Seahawks Twitter are the two best. Uh, but uh, our buddy Brandon Lee Goutin, uh had a very chilling All-Sate tweet. And, EJ, you're a draft guy, so uh, let me know what you think about this. He just tweeted out, Jordan Matthews over Devontae Adams. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside over D.K. Metcalf, Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson. Those are all three receivers that are inarguably top ten. Some would say all of them are top five even at this point that the Eagles had a shot at. They drafted none of them.
0: Yeah, it's a thing with certain organizations. Uh, We talk about typically the organizations that do uh, one position particularly well. Uh, we talk about pittsburgh with wide receivers this is a perfect example right it, it just pretty much everything they draft turns to gold yeah. and then you know the darker side of that the flip side of that coin is franchises that draft certain positions that cannot seem to get it right and i don't think any of those players is bad in their own right like i thought our Sega Whiteside had a role. I th- still think he does. Uh, you know, should he been drafted where he was? Uh, no. D- we both like Jalen Rager and think he's a tremendously capable receiver. Uh, you know, when you compare him to the i would say runaway offensive rookie of the year it doesn't look very good
1: i i don't think Uh, either one of us had rager over jefferson in our rankings either like i think i had rager top seven but jefferson yeah no i would not say we
0: had rager over jefferson but like rager's not a bad receiver and that's not to say these guys are bad players you know the opportunity cost is pretty stark there and look being a chicago fan i'll talk about chicago drafting quarterbacks right they just don't do it right and i understand that uh but it is very frustrating when you see other uh franchises that seemingly have those positions dialed like they just can't miss at inside linebacker or defensive line or you know wide receiver in the pittsburgh case like there are just certain franchises that fully understand certain positions and what they need and quite frankly what will work with their system or what works in their stable what complements what they already have and then there are folks that you know are doing the other thing
1: (laughs) yeah like the bears are good at drafting corners they like do that's, okay. That's like the,
0: corner, I would say
1: outside corner, I, more better than, than more than okay corner for sure. More than okay, uh, but yeah, no.
0: Every I, I don't know that every franchise has that, but there are certain franchises that just don't miss. It's it's pretty much everybody they grab turns into a decent player in their system. It reminds me of um, when Mike Shanahan was running the Broncos. Right, they could draft anything at running back. <laughs> anybody Mm -hmm. at running back and he'd be a thousand yard rusher because they understood what was workable in their system and the traits that they needed. And they got several players who were, you know, tremendously low on everybody else's board and turned them immediately into thousand yard rushers three in a row. Um, so it's just, it's an understanding of need and value and fit.
1: Speaking of, uh, undervalued running backs turning into gold aaron jones man every single week
0: now you say undervalued and i say he was my lead he was the picture i chose as a matter of fact on my udfa offense uh summary for that year that i wrote for windy city gridiron he was he was the guy that i actually put up as the top image and said you know i pick a yeah uh, one UDFA from each position uh that I thought was going to be successful and Aaron Jones was the guy that year um you know or lower drafted or UDFA so I've been a huge Aaron Jones fan. He was one of the first players. I have a soft spot in my heart for Aaron Jones for multiple reasons, not only because he's a tremendous player, but he's actually one of the first players that reached out to me directly on Twitter when I posted something nice about him uh, and said, hey, man, you'd a real one, like, you know, appreciate the love, whatever. And this, again, is, is from a guy that wasn't getting a ton of love from from draft Twitter, um, but couldn't be happier for that guy. He is a tremendous talent. He is in the right place. He's in the right system at the right time. Plays hard, works hard, it shows on the field. Um Philip Lindsay was another one uh that I had that I believed in that again got his opportunity. It's all about opportunity and fit. And both of those guys have been tremendously productive in their respective positions and now look like, you know, some of the biggest steals going. Um but I was ahead on both of those guys, so I'm pretty happy about that. And Aaron Jones, super super nice individual.
1: Yeah, you know, we always talk about, um, you know, not paying running backs. Like draft them, use them, don't pay them. I don't know if Aaron Rodgers is going to let them not pay him because Aaron Rodgers, I should say, uh, was a big factor in pushing Jones to get playing time. Under uh, in the McCarthy era before Lafleur even got there. And I remember in Jones's rookie training camp, Rodgers came out publicly and said, hey, we got something here in this Aaron Jones kid. And he was like fourth on the TEP chart at the time. Uh, and he was a huge proponent in Green Bay media of just driving the Aaron Jones train. Ended up making the roster. Anytime he got on the field, Aaron wanted to target him because like, I want to get this guy touches and show what he can do. Uh, and he's just feeding him the ball, feeding him the ball, feeding him the ball, especially as a receiver. Um, and then he, a couple of years ago is when he really had that big breakout when they finally actually started feeding him, and it seemed like he was getting two touchdowns a game. Um, and I, I think Aaron Rodgers loves Aaron Jones because he just makes life so much easier on Rodgers in terms of just constantly churning out yards on the ground, giving him manageable third downs, um, giving him – manageable second downs which is like when you look at the statistics like that is when Aaron gets the most out of like those free plays where he gives hard counts where it's like hey minimum I'm gonna get a first down on second and short anyway because you jumped and then he'll take a shot on second and short so Aaron Jones is a big factor in the running game making Rodgers's own play style more effective he's good in pass pro again he's good as a receiver I don't think Rodgers is gonna let the front office let aaron jones walk because he's probably his favorite running back he's ever worked with and he's worked with a lot of good ones
0: yeah he's up there for sure and and one of the things that you pointed out is his versatility right that he is a modern nfl running back he can make a lot out of the touches he gets in the run game which is de-emphasized but still important uh he is a tremendous pass receiver and he has an excellent blocker which look, Rodgers is starting to care about a little bit more. He's always cared about it a bit. He's caring about it a little bit more late in his career. You don't want to get pounded on a weekly basis and you're running back being able to do the right blitz pickup at the right time and effectively execute it is a big deal. The fact that he can do all of those things, that he's a bit of a jack of all trades, plays with a chip on his shoulder because he wasn't drafted, like all of those things are pretty tremendous. But look, his his run at the end of the game is supposed to be for a game ceiling first down but no he's not satisfied <laughs> with that he turns it into this crazy ridiculous long touchdown 245 to go in the fourth quarter you know that's a that's the difference between like oh it's good enough and we can probably you know run three four more plays and kneel this down no we're just gonna put points on the board and that's it we're going home with the win right
1: yeah and uh, I think in the, in the following series, that's where Darnell Savage, uh, another favorite of the pod, got mm-hmm. his diving interception. He's having a pretty nice year as well. I remember when he was coming out, we were both kind of like Eddie Jackson 2.0, uh, and maybe he's not quite Eddie yet but he certainly shows the traits that Eddie does in terms of being able to break on the ball in, in a short area. Uh um, yeah, I'd say this I,
0: year he's having a better year than Eddie and I know that's heresy but uh Eddie's having a down year. We I just talked about this on a previous podcast and um Eddie deserves a little more scrutiny than he's getting. He he's he got paid, he's got a great contract, as a tackler. he's a tremendous player. I, yeah. He is not making a difference this year. Uh, And some of that's because people don't target him, but more of it is because when they do, they're getting a whole lot more out of it. They're getting about 20 plus percentage points better completion uh, this year than last year. So Eddie's play's fallen off a little bit and uh, Savage is holding steady or going the other way. So it's a lot closer than a lot of people would think just based on name recognition.
1: Yeah, I, I, Eddie's tackling in particular, I think, has kind of <laughs> reared its ugly head. <laughs> I mean, it was a problem when he was coming out of Bama, but he was so good at getting turnovers and, and everything like that. We, we, like I even said uh, in my mock draft that year, it's like, I, I know he's going to miss tackles. That's what he does. But he's also going to put points on the board, so I'm willing to deal with it. Uh, and I, it's there's been a little bit more take than give this year, I'll say. Yeah, that.
0: I think that's a very apropos statement is, uh, you know, It's his tackling is a little worse. Uh, The turnovers, which look are fickle. Sometimes they come in bunches and sometimes they go in bunches, but he's had very few sort of impact plays that way. And then when you're letting folks go in terms of being the sort of middle option to stop that long run for the ball carry, and you're not executing that very
1: well, all of a sudden it all just hits a little bit differently. Yeah. But uh, either way, Darnell Savage, great player. Uh, really coming into his own. And, uh, yeah, that'll do it for Eagles-Packers. Some things to look forward to this coming week with uh, Jalen Hurts getting his first actual start against a very good Saints defense. Uh, and the Packers are I, I can't remember who Green is playing this week, but I'm sure they're just going to kick the crap out of them like normal because uh, that's just kind of what they do now. They're one of the three best teams in the league. But that being said, uh, let's move on to Giants-Seahawks, one of the biggest upsets. Of the week unless you're a Giants fan um, but man hell of a game here defensive battle the thing that really jumps out to me in terms of uh, why the Giants were able to win this game was third down defense they held the Hawks to 30 percent on third down which was a ninth worst in the league for this week but overall if you look at you know overall season averages that would be the worst season average Uh, in the league like 30 percent like that's a very 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 bad third down conversion rate Uh, lots of sacks lots of pressure Uh, there was a third and two where that defensive line just bowed up and was able to stop Carson short like they only got in the red zone Seattle did they only got in the in the in the Giants red zone one time the entire game which was fourth worst in the league for the week so Great, great effort by that Giants defense, uh, especially on third down. And they really, really carried New York to a win here.
0: Yeah, it was a combination of the Giants, who we talked about at the top of the podcast, playing very well as a team. And Russell Wilson playing uh, very out of character. Let's just put it that way. Russell has been a machine living in the Pacific Northwest, I've been witness to it firsthand. He's been tremendously reliable as a quarterback in terms of Mm -hmm. what he is going to provide, the opportunities he is going to hit, the opportunities he's going to create with his legs. Um, I think there's sort of a patented... Russell Wilson pivot move to get away from the pass rush he was the first guy I know to do that to sort of feel backside pressure and spin hard to that side um, by himself some more time. He didn't do a whole lot of any of that in this game looked sort of very unceremoniously lost which Seattle fans are, I'll tell you, based on all the chatter around here this week, really not used to. (laughs) That is a new thing for them. Seeing Russell play at a sort of human or below average level is not a thing that Seahawks fans have seen a lot of, and uh, it's very disturbing to them. But good credit to the Giants for playing a strong team game. Uh... Russell was not able to salvage the Seahawks hopes uh, the way he typically does with a couple of long shots to DK uh, or a couple of crushing, you know, Chris Carson runs. It just didn't add up for them. And they came up on the short side of the stick to the Giants, which is not something you would have predicted, oh, probably ever this season, certainly not earlier this season when the Seahawks were playing very well and the Giants were playing very poorly. Uh, But even recently, I think that would have been a a bet you could have made money on that the Giants were going to beat the Hawks in Seattle. Um, Interestingly enough, one of the guys we mentioned at the top of the podcast, Jabril Peppers, was involved in two consecutive plays that we couldn't ignore and so we're gonna make them both sort of a joint bootleg shot of the week nominee because literally jabril peppers deals one out now this is early in the first quarter 13 11 left in the first quarter so game's just getting started russell wilson hangs one to tyler lockett and jabril peppers nails him Just on the sideline, full coming (laughs) safety. Just smacks him. Like all credit to Lockett. He hangs on. Completed pass. First down. Nice play. The very next play. Chris Carson, short side, cuts it back, (laughs) buries Jabril Peppers on the run. Uh this is the very next play. So it's about 12-ish minutes into first quarter. Just Bangs Jabril Peppers to the turf, runs him right over. So very interesting that the same player on two consecutive plays, A, deals out a bootleg shot of the week nominee and then becomes the victim of one on the very next play.
1: And Jabril got Carson back later in the game too. And I'll, I'll kind of talk about their overall defensive game plan because it factors in there. But uh, he came on a blitz through the B gap and Carson was picking him up. And he put Carson on his A. Ass. and you know that he was thinking about when he got buried early in the game he's like I'm gonna give it back to him and he did uh and that actually flushed Wilson into another sack I think it was like his, the second time he got sacked in the game uh just a, I mean Jabril was throwing his body all over the place in this game he had a hell of a game uh, actually I think he finished that play for a sack too I don't I don't think 49 got it I think Jabril actually did wind back and get it um but again had a hell of a day I do want to talk a little bit schematically about what the Giants defense did because you mentioned how they were able to kind of like keep Russ from spinning out and going wide. When you look at how New York rushed the passer, Patrick Graham came up. Uh, he's the defense coordinator for the Giants. Patrick Graham came up with an excellent plan where he's like, look, Russ doesn't like to step up from pressure because, again, he's a shorter guy. He doesn't want to Uh, have to put himself behind all those big bodies because it obscures his vision. Uh, It kind of makes him guess a little bit. Like Drew Brees is the only shorter quarterback I can remember that that was totally fine with stepping up behind a guard that was 6'7 and being totally cool with it. Russ actually prefers that you come at him uh, inside so that he can then kind of spin out of it and go wide because then he's got full field of vision. He's out in space. He's athletic. He can make throws on the run, all that kind of stuff. So their plan was, Hey, we're going to rush him wide and we're going to have guys like Jabril peppers blitzing up the gut to catch him when he steps up. And that was how the, that sack happened was he couldn't step up. He had to try to go wide 49 flushed him even more. And then Jabril kind of wheeled back from the inside to get him again. Um, or the, uh, the last Leonard Williams sack, they were running a, a TE stunt, and Williams was playing end, even though he's an interior guy, but he was playing end. And then you have on a TE stunt, means tackle end stunt, the tackle kind of knifes through the B gap and then shoves the tackle really deep in the pocket so that Wilson can't escape wide. He's just sitting there waiting for him while Leonard Williams would then loop back inside and be the free rusher. So it's all about creating wide contain while having pressure on the inside. That was how they designed it was we're not going to be coming off the edges. We're going to be waiting on the edges and then bringing pressure up the gut. They did it over and over and over again. And it worked because Russell hates that. It's kind of his one weakness in terms of being against pressure is not being able to escape out wide And then kind of tying it into my overall point about third down defense. Uh, There was a third and, what was it, third and six, third and four, something something around there, about nine minutes left in the first quarter. And this was also another thing, was showing one coverage before the snap and then giving you a different one and making Russell hold the ball while you bring that interior pressure. They showed man cover one, uh, like it was just going to be man across the board, single high safety, rushing five, and then they dropped out uh Matty F Brown on Twitter a huge shout out to him he did a great breakdown of this play they had it was kind of an amoeba look you rush to contact you occupy all the all the blockers you back out you have guys sitting in hole zones over the middle to take away the slants and then you have another linebacker again looping inside bringing that interior pressure he can't go anywhere he can't escape wide and that gets a sack on third down so brilliant defensive game plan playing contain and bringing interior pressure. Uh, I would imagine we're going to see a lot more teams do that because over the years, that's consistently been the one thing that really slows Russell down.
0: Yeah, that breakdown by Matty F. Brown was great. I saw that, and the first thing I thought about when I saw that was our conversation a couple of weeks ago about Miami's zero blitz, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And that Miami's going to bring those guys to contact. And the first time they get slowed down, those guys back out and fill the lanes. And the other guys keep going. Because if you've already occupied the blocker, you're not going to get there. You back out and see if you can get your hands up and stymie one of the passing lanes. And that's exactly what that looked like to me, um, just on a TV angle. But we need to talk about a couple of Senior Bowl alumni that we both liked. Uh, Carter Coughlin. Got his pressure on Russell Wilson, so good to see Carter Coughlin getting his groove on for the Giants and starting to contribute there. Very versatile player. Interviewed him a couple of times during Senior Bowl week. Really enjoyed conversations with him, his perspective, what he was trying to get better at. Um, Found out later that he was sick as a dog the entire week. Had no idea, was throwing up most of the week. Uh, would puke and then go to practice and you would have had no idea talking to Carter Coughlin was extremely uh, patient, thoughtful in his responses. Uh, Didn't find out till later that he was super sick the entire week. So big shout out to Carter Coughlin and then Darnay Holmes, one of your favorites got a pick off Mm -hmm. the dip drill in this one kind of became the senior, uh, senior bowl alumni game. Um, But a couple of guys that are giving good contributions Uh, to the giants that were both at the senior bowl and we talked about leonard williams earlier ended up two sacks in this one one off the stunt that you were talking about um one earlier and he's really found his groove over the last four or five weeks but a guy we didn't necessarily think was going to be a huge contributor and he's been uh as much a part of that giants pass rush as anybody and honestly if they need anything in this coming draft They really need some edge pressure, right? The Giants were, were for years, they stocked up on edge pressures. They had JPP, they had Strahan, they had all those guys, right? They always seem to have plenty of edge rushers. And it seems like they could use one right now. They're getting decent interior pressure. They're getting pressure through scheme. It'd be really nice to have that sort of ace uh, exterior edge rusher on this team to add just one more element and give opposing quarterbacks even less
1: time. That's why I'm kind of surprised they didn't go after Yannick, when he was mm. on the trade block, because I felt like he or, could Everson have fit there. or Everson Griffin, or Everson. Well, maybe they want somebody younger, because I think they know like true. Well, is at the time they're like, look, we're not competing this year. Like Everson, it kind of made sense why he went to the Cowboys, because it's they're like, oh, we're gonna make a playoff push, all that kind of stuff. Um, but Yannick's a little bit younger. Th- there are some edge guys in the upcoming draft class that I. think... I like, but the thing is we have no idea where they're going to pick because they can be anywhere from the top 10 to the low 20s at this point. Like the NFC East is wide open. So I think the Giants, yeah, are gonna if be they probably, keep
0: winning, it's going to have a serious yeah Yeah. Yeah. Sure.
1: It's, it's going to be interesting. I think, I think we're going to talk about the Giants a lot in the spring. Uh, and so yeah, overall really, really entertaining game, even though not very high scoring. I, I think it, it created some more questions for Seahawks fans because it's it always seems like, you know, two steps forward, one step one step back with that team. It's like, oh, we finally fixed the defense and now the offense is struggling. Russell's had kind of a rough, you know, two months here. So it, it, the Seahawks never seem to be fully online offensively or defensively at the same time. Maybe they can get it together by January, but uh, still an immensely entertaining game. Uh, I've really enjoyed kind of watching the Giants over the last month and uh, curious to see where they go from here. Before we get to our third kind of main highlighted game of the week. I do want to thank our sponsor for the day, Manscaped, the best, most complete collection of products out of any men's grooming provider. I've had multiple iterations of their famous lawnmower body trimmer over the years and their newest update, the lawnmower 3.0 is by far their best one yet. It's waterproof. It's got a replaceable ceramic blade with their skin safe technology to stop all those painful nicks and cuts. It's got a really powerful 9,000 RPM motor as well to cut through even the thickest of hair I use it weekly, and I also use their nose hair trimmer too, the Weed Whacker, because uh, I get crazy nose hair. Ever since I turned 26, uh, I don't know why that magic number just made my body drastically change, but I hate it. And my knees hurt all the time. So if Manscaped could figure out a fix for that as well, I'd appreciate it. But uh, if you're not in need of any new trimmers right now, but you still want to up your grooming game or you want to give a gift to someone else during this holiday season that you know they're going to love. Manscaped also offers a wide variety of excellent colognes and body washes and deodorants that all smell fantastic and leave your skin feeling amazing. Uh, highly recommend you get the body wash, by the way. It is awesome. One of my singular favorite smelling body washes that I've ever had. and My wife loves it too, just for that reason. So if you're interested in the lawnmower 3.0, the Weed Whacker, any of the other great grooming products they offer, Head on over to Manscaped.com and use promo code BOOTLEG for 20% off your order plus free shipping. Again, that is promo code BOOTLEG at Manscaped.com for 20% off your order and free shipping. And with that, EJ, let's move on to our final kind of main highlighted game of the week, which is Jaguars-Vikings which, uh, to be honest, I did not expect this to be one of the main games we highlighted for the week. Uh, I thought this was going to be a blowout. Ended up going uh, to the wire. (laughs) It's actually an immensely entertaining game. And uh, I I will say, once again, Justin Jefferson proving himself to be not just the best rookie receiver, not just maybe the best offensive rookie, maybe one of the best rookie receivers in the history of the sport. Fun fact, uh, before I I give you the floor, In his first 12 games, he's got over 1,000 yards. Do you know the other four receivers ever to get 1,000 yards in their first 12 games? Uh, I could guess one or two of them. I absolutely do not know four of them. So it is Marcus Colston, Randy Moss, Anquan Bolden, Odell Beckham Jr. That is the list. I only got one out of the four. (laughs) (laughs) You had Odell? Yeah, uh, no, I had I had Moss. Oh yeah, I guess I, I guess he would be the obvious one, but yeah, it is. Uh, he Leave is it to joining... me to get the
0: obvious one. That's that's what I'm good yeah. for.
1: Yeah, he is he's joining elite company there. Uh, you could argue Anquan's a Hall of Famer. Randy's obviously a no brainer. Uh, Marcus is probably at least going to end up in the Ring of Honor down in New Orleans. Sure, he owns. He's gonna own well. Assuming Michael Thomas passes him at some point, he'll be top two in basically every single receiving category in Saints history. Do you know uh, how many and, catches Michael Thomas has in his career? This is this is relevant because he passed a milestone this week. It's I mean he's let's see, he's averaging a hundred a year for five years into his career, so he's got to mm-hmm. be over five hundred now. I should yeah, say five
0: hundred and one right? this week.
1: Yeah. 501 catches
0: for Michael Thomas, which is amazing to me as a draft guy. It seems like I was just looking at his draft profile, but 501 catches already for Michael Thomas. Um, Pretty incredible. And look, a guy that gets volume catches for sure. But I saw the stat from PFF this week, uh, success against man coverage. And you can argue, um, and and rightfully so, Uh, Brett, I know you've gone back and forth with PFF about multiple things, but um, it's a decent basis for conversation. And in terms of success against man coverage, they had the top five receivers success rate versus man coverage. And number two and number three were both Vikings receivers in the entire league. Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson were second and third overall. So uh, just a note to defenses going against Minnesota. You probably don't want to play a whole lot of man because you're going to get
1: worked. And ironically, uh, Jacksonville plays more man coverage than anybody else in the league. They were at least as of a few weeks ago, I don't know what it's at now, but as of a few weeks ago, they were the only team in the league over 50% for man coverage. Like that's, that was what they did and they stuck to it at all times. Uh, and they would get punished repeatedly over and over and over again for it. And uh, this week was no different. They, they tried to man up Justin Jefferson and he killed them. Another hundred yard game. Uh, nasty, nasty touchdown. Uh, on, I don't even know what they call the route, but he was basically selling a deep over and then slammed on the brakes and whipped back to the pylon. Um, I'll have to kind of go through my... My old uh, my Shanahan playbooks because he kind of has like a six page thing of like just names for every type of route in the West Coast system. So I'm sure I could find it in there. I don't know what they call it offhand, but just a, such a good sell with the head fake and using a pressure step inside to get the DB to try to undercut it, and then he just slammed on the brakes and lost him. Hell of a route, uh, and I'm I'm gonna say it every week, Justin Jefferson, man. He's he is one of the best rookies I've I've ever seen.
0: You should. He's coming on as hot as anybody has in their entrance in a long, long time. Um, I'll say this is a former Bears fan. Mike Glennon is going to trick somebody into signing him in the offseason, I think. And (laughs) it's, you know, you look in and he's that tall sort of statuesque quarterback, throws a a decent
1: deep ball. uh, And he, you know, he came over. with a couple of... Do you you hear that? Do you hear that? John Elway just shit himself in excitement. (laughs) uh i could totally see that the ginger giraffe goes to denver uh
0: anyways he got lucky on a heave that bounced off somebody to lavisca chenault for a score not uh nothing against lavisca uh, but literally bounced off a defender and chenault caught it in the end zone um then they missed the pat and the thing that you know a lot of pat's have been missed this year that's not a surprise they moved them back a couple of years ago the jags have had, get this, six different kickers this year. As the fan of the franchise that. that struggled with kickers, like the Bears have, you know, this year been very good with Cairo Santos and we're all quite pleased about that. Last year, uh, who's he going to be? Is Pinero going to do it? And they've they've gone through some kickers, but they had two, maybe three a year. The Jags have had, I repeat, six different kickers this year. It's astounding. So, um, game started off interestingly, but Colin Johnson is one of those rookies. We talked about a couple of rookies that are sort of putting it together in the second half. Isaiah Simmons, a little bit as he started to get more playing time has definitely come on. We talked about some of those rookies that just didn't get the early opportunity or took them a little bit longer to break into the lineup. Colin Johnson had a hell of a game for the Jaguars. He was a fifth round pick right we liked him at the senior bowl tall receiver out of texas a little bit limited in his route tree he's more of a vertical guy down the boundary he's not really going to make a living between the hash marks for you but he has a good skill set and uh apparently glennon likes it because a couple of big completions to colin johnson in this one um they used lavisca chennault uh out of the backfield straight up and he had a very explosive rep uh coming out this is something we talked about his versatility Uh, in the draft last year that uh, they were going to have to be creative with him on offense Uh, and then another rookie on the other side of the ball cam dantzler one of my favorites um, ended up being picked to play corner by the vikings picks glennon off in this one uh, on an underneath route and turns out that cam dantzler is the highest graded rookie over the last four weeks 90.1 grade out of pff again take pff grades as you will but cam Dansler is another one of those guys like colin johnson didn't have didn't didn't come out blazing like justin jefferson took a little bit longer to warm up but over the last three to four weeks been having a very good rep and looks like keeper for the vikes so that's good news for them and then the other thing i really wanted to highlight is on the other side of that jefferson connection is kirk cousins who uh takes a lot of crap and rightfully so. But one of the things that Kirk Cousins does as well as anybody in the league, or I would say better than anybody in the league except for Baker Mayfield, is the hard play-action fake. And I mean the Mm -hmm. hard sell, the good hand work, the tucking the ball away. So defenders have that little bit of pause. He did it three times in this game. The first one, uh, well, I'm sure he did it more than three times in this game, but three times notably in this game. The first one was a really strong play-action pitch rep, and you don't normally see play-action on a pitch. Normally, you see it on a handoff, but they faked the pitch, Cousins hid the ball, made an easy toss to Thielen in the end zone, back of the end zone on crossing route for a score, um, created all the space he needed again off that strong play-action. Did it again uh, on the nice little flare to Ham, their fullback for the Vikings T.A., for the Vikings TD and then Cousins generated a ton of pocket space on the touchdown to Jefferson. Uh and again, look at the play again, watch the play again. A tremendously hard fake. Every defender on the field thinks that Dalvin Cook has the ball. He rolls out and stands there alone, 5 yards separated from every defender, just kind of surveying the field and goes, "Oh, look, there's Justin Jefferson" and nails him for a touchdown. All three of those plays, those are three of the Vikings TDs. All three of them came off really hard, sharp, well-executed play action. And Cousins for his many faults is one of the best in the league at that particular asset.
1: Yeah, he's uh he's actually thrown the second most touchdowns in the league, second only to Aaron Rodgers who, you know, runs a similar system under the floor um it's west coast it's bootlegs play action second most touchdowns to aaron Rodgers off play action this year uh nine and a half yards per attempt and a 114 quarterback rating off play action hyper hyper efficient uh deadly with that deep ball especially when he's given all that space from that hard fake and you get the end to chase and he's just kind of rolling out there all by his lonesome uh in the uh, justin jefferson film room that i'm releasing See, so, yeah, I guess I soon. guess by the time Let's this, just say it, soon. Yeah, well, by the time this podcast is out, it will be out because I'm releasing the Jefferson Film Room Thursday you, you morning. You hope I, I hope, fingers <laughs> crossed. Um, but one of the one of the first routes I highlight from Jefferson, it's like a double move comeback against Kyle Fuller from the Bears game. Uh, it was impeccably run, but part of the reason why that route was allowed forever to develop is because Kirk was rolling out on a bootleg off a good fake and he had tons of space to just run and run and run and wait for Jefferson to get open. So it's a key component of their offense and uh, they are one of the best in the league uh, at at kind of incorporating that Gary Kubiak's been done a great job. Weirdly enough though, out of all the other top 10 quarterbacks in terms of like number of touchdowns thrown off play action, uh, Kirk is the third lowest in that group in terms of play action percentage. So they don't run it as much as Kubiak has in the past. But when they do, uh, I was going to say go they save and it and they,
0: for the touchdowns because they, yeah, they hit three it. touchdowns off it. in this game.
1: Yeah, they hit it. They hit it big. So it's it's a it's a really nice component. And obviously, when you have a running back like Dalvin, I mean, of course, the linebackers are going to chase him, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dantzler
0: also recovered a fumble later in the game, so that just sort of adds to his sort of ascension, which is really fantastic for the Vikes. I'm sure they're happy to see it. Um, Glennon found Johnson a couple of more times, including a setup for first and goal. Um, Robinson pounds it in from there. He's still getting some production. Uh, The end of this game was a little weird. The Vikes missed a 51-yarder to win it, and the Jags rallied and actually got in range for one themselves, Just a few seconds left on the clock, and they missed it as well. Um, Overtime was sort of a hodgepodge. Smoot got a really nice sack on Cousins in OT. Glennon throws a bad pick to Harrison Smith. Who knew for all those waiting to (laughs) sign Mike Glennon to a rich free agent deal, this is the way it works. Vikings win this one with a field goal, but a, a strangely entertaining game that had a lot of plays, a lot of contribution from some rookies. Um, Some established veterans. Oh, and one thing I have to call out, Cousins did throw a terrible pick six to one of my favorite players in the league, Joe Schobert, who has not made a lot of noise for Jacksonville as being a big dollar free agent signing, Um, made that particular play look easy. And I think the most notable thing from that was how hard... His defensive mates rallied and came to celebrate for Schobert. You can tell that he is a leader on that team and that they were so pleased for his success. That doesn't happen with every touchdown or or defensive score in this particular case. Everybody on that defensive 11 was next to Joe Schobert, pumping him up. Extremely thrilled that he got his opportunity. Again, turnovers come and go in bunches. Schobert getting the easy pick six. um, Really... uh, Yeah, it just shows what they think of him there. Sort of one of those very sort of uh, underseen pieces in Jacksonville. Uh, We talk about Miles Jack. We talk about a lot of the other defensive stars they have. But Joe Showbert, um, obviously somebody that's really well-respected by his defensive teammates down there in Jacksonville.
1: There is a lot of talent to get excited about there. Uh, I mean... I think you and I both love DJ Chark. I think LaVisca has proven himself to be a very, very nice complimentary weapon, both in the air and on the ground. Super explosive with the ball in his hands. I kind of look, because I'm assuming that uh, Doug Marone is is not long for this world. They already got rid of Dave Caldwell. It'd be nice. (laughs) You know, I'm assuming he's not long for this world. So when I look at coaches that are going to be brought in like this team's going to have a top five pick probably the the second overall pick if it keeps going if it keeps going the way they're going um which means they're going to have their pick of quarterbacks not named Trevor Lawrence you got DJ Chark there you got LaVisca Chenault there you got a young offensive line that has some nice pieces Brandon Leonard's arguably the best pass protecting center in the entire league uh as well so he's he's been kind of a mainstay for them the defense, as you mentioned, has some nice pieces. Miles Jack and Joe Schobert's a very underrated linebacking core. Uh, they just spent a high high pick uh, on... Uh, God, who's that corner out of Florida? C.J. Henderson. Sure. C.J. Henderson, who's unfortunately on IR now. Caleb Chason has not been productive as a pass rusher, but I think it's because they're playing him out of position. They really need to have him more in like a 3-4 or as a 4-3 Sam. They're trying to play him as a true defensive end, and it's not working. I, I think they really need to use him like uh, like the the Dolphins and formerly the Patriots use Kyle Van Noy and he could be very, very good in that role. But again, I digress with that. But I still love him as a talent. So there is talent here. And when I look at coaches that can come in and replace Doug Marone, I kinda am zeroed in on Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator for Carolina, formerly the offensive coordinator for LSU, and then before that he was an assistant under Sean Payton. He's kind of seen as like potentially the new Sean McVay in terms of young offensive minds. And the reason why I think he fits well with Jacksonville is a, I think he could develop whatever young quarterback they take after Trevor Lawrence pretty well. And B, when I look at the weapons that they have to work with, I think he can make use of LaVisca very well. Like he uses Curtis Samuel. I think he can use DJ Chark like he uses DJ Moore. And we've seen that he's gotten the best out of Teddy as well. So if you give him a Justin Fields or a Wilson or whoever your QB2 is, I think he could really develop a young quarterback as well. I, I kind of like Joe Brady to Jacksonville. Is there anybody other than like the obvious Eric Bieniemy or or Brian Dable that that you think would mm. fit better?
0: No, I'm, I'm going to go with the obvious. I'm going to take Eric Bieniemy because I think if he is sold on whoever he thinks he can get at number two for the quarterback, if he likes Justin Fields, right? Because an offensive guy like the is absolutely going to have to have something at quarterback wherever he goes. And let's say there are openings in places like, Oh, I don't know, Los Angeles where Justin Herbert's there and he, he's got a bird in the hand. He's likely to take that because he knows what he can create with that. But if he likes Justin Fields, there's a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball. You've got James Robinson. You've got Chark, who's tremendous. What they really need is a little bit more offensive line depth and a playmaking tight end. Somebody that can stretch that seam in the Kelsey type mold. But he's got all kinds of receivers, Colin Johnson developing. We already talked about Chark. There's a couple other guys in the mix there. LaVisca is his wild card. He can play him, uh, you know, the same way they play Curtis Samuel in, in Panthers land. You were talking about Joe Brady. It's a very similar role. You give him a little bit more interior offensive line depth or a really high quality tackle, and you give him a playmaking tight end. If he likes Justin Fields, I think the enemy could make a ton of noise in Jacksonville.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm actually kind of excited to see where they go with this because... The cupboard is not bare, not even all. close. And I know we like to talk about the 2017 roster and how it's gone, which it is, but they've replaced it with some high quality players. There's not enough of them yet. And the coaching isn't there yet, but this is not, not, not a that far that off. They're not that far off. That's what
0: I keep yeah. trying to tell people. Like, they, they need a quarterback get and they need a couple of key pieces on offense, but I don't think as many as people think. And no. you could see a really tremendous turnaround from them offensively. And look, offense is the straw that stirs the drink in the NFL right now. If you have a functioning offense that is putting up between 20 and
1: 30 points a game, you can win a lot of games. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of stoked to see where they go. And I, I think they're going to be, again, just like the Giants, another one of those teams that we're talking about a lot in the spring because their potential for a bounce back, a very quick bounce back is, uh, is pretty tremendous here. Um, what do you say we get in the fourth and long since we've been going about an hour so far, we should probably get into this. Uh, we'll start off with saints and Falcons. EJ, what was your main takeaway from this game?
0: Ooh, main takeaway is tough. Um, <laughs> young way is a really good kicker. Don't I say that every week about the Falcons? <laughs> uh, he is, he's a really good kicker. Um, my first takeaway was do not lose outside contain on Taysom Hill. Holy crap if you do He's that, quick, you are really sunk. Uh, 43 yard scramble is the longest of his career to start this game off. Um, Falcons are playing much, much better. We talked about that last week. Um, they're playing somewhat predictably the Michael Thomas catching 500 balls was definitely something that stuck out to me. Um, that's just a function of the pass happy NFL that we live in. Um, There was a need that popped up to me because we actually talked about this early on for the Falcons before they fired the coaching staff. There was a game, and I forget which week it was, where we said over and over again, man, the Falcons cannot set the edge, right? They kept giving up the soft edge. They kept giving up like quality runs to the edge over and over again, and we just we identified that as a weakness. They had that weakness again this week. They cannot set the edge, and I said, man, the Falcons need an edge setter in the draft, even if it's not a pass rusher. A guy like Jonathan Allen, big one of those stout Alabama defensive ends that you know does not let people by, doesn't necessarily generate a ton of pressure off the edge, but can stand up a tackle, can stand up a tight end, maybe a double stick an arm out and make sure that that back is not getting to the outside edge because the Falcons are getting crushed on that again this week um so they need an edge setter really badly in the draft other than that uh Gage made a couple of really nice plays in a row picked up a touchdown for the Falcons Russell
1: Gage is, is one of my favorites man he's he's so underrated
0: under yeah very under the radar especially on that receiving core and why wouldn't you be you got ridley and jones um bunch of other guys that have made plays this year but gage uh has come up uh, not every week but consistently enough that you should know his name he is one of those guys that um when his ticket comes up and he may go somewhere else because again his opportunities are are never going to be tremendous so long as as julio and calvin are there um a guy that could make some noise, more noise elsewhere than he does on the Falcons just because of the roster depth. But uh the Falcons came up short at the end of this one. They were within a Hail Mary, they couldn't complete it. Uh an interesting game, um but nothing to
1: really make me write home about. What did you have? My my main thing is like look, I get it. They're 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 kicking the tires on Taysom Hill. And he's fine, like he's okay as a pass. Like he, I think he's gotten better over the last couple weeks as a passer, and obviously he's electric on the ground. But to me, I I know what the standard is for quarterback play for this offense, and even though he's improving, I I don't think he meets that standard. And to be honest, I kind of think that Jamis has a higher ceiling in this offense, even though Taysom's <laughs> a better athlete. I think Jameis has a higher ceiling in this offense. Cause I think he's just a better passer. It's not always going to go to the right team, but he's a better passer. And uh, I like Drew's going to be back in a couple of weeks. I know they're not going to start Jameis at all, but going forward, I want them to re-sign Jameis because I think I've seen enough of Taysom to know, like, look, he's quality backup. You can bring him in for some packages for 16 games, like if you want this to be a thing in 2021 for 16 games that I, I highly question. I would rather roll the dice with Jameis. I don't know. Cause Jameis, Jameis's tendency.
0: You mentioned it to give the ball away. If Peyton could cut that down uh, and, and limit that, maybe cut it in half, which would be reasonable. I think he can, uh, again, if he can, I think that absolutely Jameis has so much more, In the tank as a passer than Taysom, but Taysom has gotten better. You mentioned it. The Taysom to Thomas connection is big. I think if a guy like Michael Thomas had been out like he was at the beginning of the season and you were starting Taysom Hill, I think at that point you're sunk, uh, or much more one-dimensional, that much easier to defend. Uh Mm -hmm. because look, Taysom to Thomas so smooth to start off the second half. Looked like a very natural passer. I actually had to look and make sure that Drew hadn't come back into the lineup because that first pass to Michael Thomas, you know, on time, on target, uh, well delivered. And he is getting better. But I'm with you that Jameis's passing ceiling is higher. But the caveat was an equal number of touchdowns and interceptions. That's not acceptable. If you could cut that in half then you've got something then you've got a sustainable option so both guys have their sort of faults Taysom's shown me more than i actually gave him credit for in these last couple of starts i really thought he was much more heavily one-dimensional and yes i scouted him coming out of college and yes i saw those plays but at a pro level i really thought he was legs over arm all the way and he showed more balance with the arm than i thought that being said Am I, you know, penciling Taysom in as my 16-game starter in a passing league? Eh, uh, not, yeah. not yet.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's I'm curious to see what they decide to do in the offseason because I think Taysom and Jameis are both free agents in the off season. So maybe they bring neither of them back. Who knows? I mean, they are up <laughs> against the cap. They are yeah. up against the cap. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's 2020 or bust for them, which... I, I could see it. I You know, they have a very, very good team, arguably the best offensive line, one of the best defenses, and when Drew's back, he's a highly efficient quarterback. If they win the Super Bowl this year, maybe they just bring none of them back and they blow the whole thing up because they've just been kind of ring or nothing for the last five years now. But we'll see what happens. Very intrigued by that. Uh, why don't we move on to Bengals Dolphins, uh, which I feel really, really bad for Brian Allen because he keeps having to face all these elite defenses and just getting his ass kicked every single week. The Dolphins uh, are right up there with Pittsburgh in terms of defensive metrics in virtually every single category except for run defense. But in terms of pass defense, I mean, they are right there. Like points allowed, completion percentage allowed, passer rating, turnovers, sacks, all of it. Like they are they are a suffocating pass defense, and uh, they were just hitting and picking off Allen all day long.
0: Yeah, Xavier Howard uh, makes him pay early with the interception. His eighth of the year, that is leading the league. Xavier uh, Howard, not to be ignored. I know you made a tweet about this, uh, comparing him to Stephon Gilmore last year and the fact that he's getting absolutely no buzz as sort of defensive player of the year. Uh, he should be. Xavier Howard has been putting up numbers down in South Beach, and if you're not paying attention, uh, you ought to be. Um Miles Gaskin was back this week, takes a tiny little screen and turns it into a big first down for Miami, uh, gets them out of the shadow of their own goal line. Miles Gaskin just one of those players that I got to watch as a Husky, thought he had a bunch of potential and I'm just happy every time that guy comes in and makes a bunch of contributions to Miami because he's just one of those guys that's better than his pedigree. Like he he makes more out of the touches he gets uh than a lot of other guys and uh Tua went off script later and found him running for a deep gain, big gain down the seam. Um he just works in this offense. Doesn't mean they don't need an upgrade at running back, just means that Miles Gaskin is a guy that can contribute for them. Um Gisecki, we talked about gasecki a bunch at the beginning of this season. And he first off got found in the end zone for TD. Tua was five of six off that drive. So uh, Tua's getting in shape, Gusecki is then, and then later in the third quarter, midway through the third quarter, Gaseki makes an insane one-handed catch. There's no other way to describe that catch. Mm-hmm. Just reaches up in a sort of, I'm doing a jumping jack X and stabs it with one hand, brings it in through contact Um tremendous tremendous player again there's a lot of ways to win in this league and people look at Kiseki and they say oh he's not super fast or he's not this or he's not that
1: he can My, jump
0: though <laughs> mike Kiseki is a very effective weapon you need to know how to use him no he's not as fast as some of the other seam splitting tight ends uh he's extremely tall he's got great reach knows how to jump tremendous set of hands can take contact you can win with a guy like that so Gaseki just sort of reminded us uh, that he's a very dangerous player um two other things that stuck out from this game uh, Dolphins red zone offense needs work the Bengals held them to three multiple times in this game and uh, for all the things that we say to is good at that he is indeed good at that led off his scouting report super quick decisions accurate with the football uh great in the short quick passing game like those are all things that should work very well in the red zone and right now for the dolphins they're struggling in the red zone um so need to need to have a little bit of overhaul with play calling a little bit of improvement on execution as is typically the case and they need to get that tuned up because if they're going to make any noise or certainly if they're going to compete for the afc east title can't be getting three every time you go in the red zone you gotta be scoring touchdowns more often than you're kicking the field goal uh and the second one was a bootleg shot of the week nominee uh an afc east transplant shaq lawson big blindside sack about 735 in the fourth quarter uh that was a game-turning play nice impact so shaq lawson gets the nod for a bootleg shot of the week that uh Dolphins defense, you talked about it earlier. They just, the rush is crushing that line. We have talked six sacks and later the news gets even worse. The Bengals placed Jonah Williams on an IR. He is their arguably top offensive lineman that just spells doom. They were bad before you remove the best piece. Like, uh, the rest of this season for Bengals fans is going to be rough on offense because Your line was terrible, and it just got worse.
1: And the Jonah one was unfortunate. It was one of those, you know, a a guy's trying to make a sack, and his momentum carries him, and he whips into the leg. As soon as you saw it, you knew it was probably an ACL. It's so unfortunate because he's he's already dealt with some injuries in his career. I think he tore a peck. In his rookie year, he's either a peck or an elbow. Yeah, he
0: had a really early injury in his rookie year, so he got very little exposure. So he's
1: just he's been dealing with a lot throughout his career. I felt so bad for him, Uh, and again, I felt bad for Brandon Allen, just getting crushed all day. The six sacks, Finley came in, um, threw a few passes, was also under pressure, threw a pick. Um, My one last note I want to (laughs) give. He also got sacked. Um, my one note: uh, I want to give a uh, shout out to Cal Van Noy, one AFC Defensive Player of the Week, and deservedly so. Had three sacks on this game. Um, you know, heavily contributing on stunts and blitzes. Again, he's playing that kind of role that I really want Caleb on Chase on to play in Jacksonville as a kind of move him all over the place chess piece. Yeah, you know, play the run on the edge, but not necessarily being a pass rusher. Uh, Van Noy had another really nice uh, run stop against Gio as well. Uh, you know, you can drop him into cover, you can blitz him. He's great on stunts like that. That's the the mold that I want for these two hundred forty pound, you know, hybrid kind of guys. Like I want them to be Kyle Van Noy, and Brian Flores knows how to use those kind of guys. And again, three sacks this week, a uh, bunch of tackles, just hell of a day for him. So shout out to Kyle Van Noy. Uh, next game. We'll talk about Rams Cardinals. Uh, I, the cliff Kingsbury offense has had a little bit rough lately. The run game has been (laughs) excellent pass game. Not so much.
0: Yeah. Arizona slumping a little bit. We'll go to the last point first here. So we don't bury the lead. Uh, they're 500 six and six. But they've lost their yeah. last three in a row. So if you're mm-hmm. six and six and you've lost your last three in a row, you're not trending the right direction. And we're certainly more hopeful about the Cardinals earlier in the season. It's not that they can't turn it around or they don't have the talent or they don't know how. But yeah, the shine is is off the Cardinals at the moment. They've had some bad beats over the last three weeks. Uh they're gonna have to turn that around if they want to make some noise because you know, excuses don't change the win-loss column at the end of the season and uh they're at one of those sort of tipping point places do they do they sort of win out or you know win three of their last four and march out on a high note or do they continue and lose three of their last four come out you know one and four out of the last four games uh and really sort of limp to the finish which would be a, a disappointment with all the talent on this roster and certainly the the expectations coming into the season But a couple of highlights out of this one. Darnold gets a sack on Murray, which is always tough to do. Kyler Murray, one of the most mobile quarterbacks in the league. Donald's 11th sack. The idea that a guy that plays primarily interior defensive line as a defensive tackle has 11 sacks uh, going into, you know, week 13 is staggering. I mean, it's just another credit to Donald's provision. Prodigious talent. It, that's just one of those numbers that makes you stand up and go, Wait, is that right? And the answer is yes, yeah. right? And yes, they play him on the edge some. And yes, he's gotten a bunch of his sacks there. But regardless of where you play him, he's a force. And having 11 sacks at this point is just a huge credit to Aaron Donald. A couple of others that popped out in this game, the Darrell Henderson and really the Rams backs in general were the offensive mainstay. We talk every week about Robert Woods and Cooper cup and um, all the guys on the receiving core, but really the Rams were making hay off passes to the outside uh, to their backs, big gains off short throws to the running backs. And we saw Darrell Henderson do it a couple of times in this game you know that's different, but it's encouraging to me that again Sean McVay is adaptable enough to say, "Hey, maybe their pass coverage is a little bit better this week, and we can exploit the edges with the backs." And they do that. They are an amoeba like offense that gives them the flexibility to win on any any given week, uh, and that is encouraging for Rams fans for sure.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit worried about kyler's shoulder that's kind of my main takeaway is he's ever since he heard it he has not thrown for 200 yards yeah as a guy that
0: has done nasty things to both shoulders it's not right it's not right i've subluxed one which means basically it dislocated but it popped back in on its own so it rode up on the rim and then it popped back in um yeah not not good um not not my favorite injury, and I've also had a pretty serious injury to my AC joint, which is where your collarbone welds onto your shoulder. Um, and you know all the stuff that they were working him through the week that he hurt it. Right, I I've been through all that PT. I was watching the trainer trying to keep it warm on the sideline. All the range of motion exercises they were using to try and keep it limber. I was like, I remember all those, and I thought, oh man, he probably popped uh, the so. Anyways, we don't need to get his shoulder <laughs> physiology, but, um, I thought he probably took a pretty good shot to the top of his shoulder, which sort of drives the, the collarbone joint down into the top of your shoulder. It's called the supraspinatus. It's part of your rotator cuff. There's four little pieces that suck your shoulder into your body. Basically, he probably took a really good pop on the top of that one and maybe, maybe split it, maybe separated it, maybe just aggravated it, but makes it very, very painful. Anytime you basically pull your elbow up and try and elevate your shoulder over about, oh, shoulder height. Right. Um, and to throw, uh, that's part of the throwing motion is to get that elbow up to whip the ball. Um, that's all going to be, generating that torque and rotation off the shoulder when you've taken that kind of injury is uh difficult it hurts like crazy. And, and you don't want to do it after a while. It gets stiff. It gets tight. That's the reason they were putting the, the warming compresses on there to try and keep it loose. Um, so it's not one of those things that's going to get a whole lot better throughout the season. Um, you know, continued use is going to continue to aggravate it and keep it inflamed. Um, yeah, I I was worried that game because he was showing very
1: obvious signs of having taken that injury, um, mm-hmm. and they're just they're not pushing the ball down the field. Which I mean, the one saving grace is okay. You're playing against the Patriots defense, where even though they don't have any pass rush, they do have good DBs. So I can understand maybe they're trying to do you know check down city in that game. Like okay, I'll give you a pass. And the Rams defense is literally the best defense against the deep ball in the entire league okay, I can understand why DeAndre Hopkins is not running a single route past 15 yards. I get it. But even though they're playing against the Giants this week, another good defense, uh, if they're not taking any shots down the field for three straight weeks, like it's one thing if like you're playing a good defense, it's another if they know they can't take shots down the field. That, that might be part of the reason why. Yeah,
0: there's, there's two things there. Christian Kirk, uh, if you look at Christian Kirk's production, uh, up to the point where Kyler injured his shoulder, and post it's a wasteland, right? Christian Kirk yes. was ascending; yes. he was getting a bunch of really productive down the field shots. He was scoring touchdowns, and as soon as Kyler hurt his shoulder, Christian Kirk's production went to nothing. The other one was posted by Doug Ferrar today, who said since the Hale Murray, uh, the game winner to Hopkins in the end zone, the Fal- or sorry, the Cardinals have only attempted one pass over 20 yards to DeAndre Hopkins since that.
1: Yeah. Which the very next game after the Hale Murray was when he, when he got hurt, it was against Seattle. Yeah. So I think, again, this is not the kind of offense that won't throw deep. There's, there's something up here. And I think it's with the shoulder. It's not just the defenses they're playing. I, I think they know they can't throw deep and they would rather not have Kyler throw up ducks. If the velocity isn't there. And they're trying to make do with the quick passing game. They're trying to make do with the running game because his legs still work and Kenyon Drake is still running the ball. Yeah. Chase Edmonds um,
0: had a couple of really, you know, really good plays this week. So they, they've got other weapons. I mean, Dan Arnold has had a couple of really good weeks, and maybe that's the the blessing in disguise for this Cardinals, you know, offense is that they learn to use the tight end a little bit more. Um, whereas before they were just whipping it to Hopkins and Kirk. Uh, you know, that could, you know, come into play either late this year or early next. Uh, but yeah. yeah, it is a different offense from the Cardinals than we saw earlier in the year.
1: Yeah, just just keep an eye on it. I, I would say the Cardinals Giants game is definitely a game to watch this week, which is not something I expected to say about a month ago. But here we are, because uh, you're going to want to look at Kyler's arm. If they're still not throwing deep, then there really is a problem. If they lose again, if they go below 500 with three weeks left in the season, you might as well just sit Kyler for the rest of the year because you're not going to make the playoffs at that point uh and then in the rest of the year after that let me see so you got the eagles and then you got the 49ers and then you got a rematch with the rams which they would probably lose again so you're looking like at best nine and seven you're probably not making the playoffs at that point even if you do you're making the playoffs with an injured quarterback so if they lose this week to the giants i would probably just sit kyler and just It is what it is. You know, they've dealt with injuries to Chandler Jones. Now they're dealing with injuries to their quarterback. It sucks, but I don't, I would rather not have him aggravate this any further and have it become an Andrew Luck type situation where he was also dealing with a lingering shoulder injury that he was playing through. Like if they lose this game, just just shut it down.
0: Yeah. We talked about this actually in our preview of the AFC West at the beginning of the year. And we said that the Cardinals were the team in the league that had the sort of thinnest veneer of starting talent, right? That if all their starters stayed healthy, they were as dangerous as anybody in the league. But if you gave about three or four key injuries, Uh, On either side of the ball, and they've already taken uh, certainly a couple of those on defense, Uh, Kyler would be the sort of kingpin on offense for that particular designation. You give three or four good injuries to the Cardinals, they're not a team that can recover right now. They don't have that kind of depth um yeah so uh, unfortunately we're sort of seeing whether or not our theory was correct playing out which is not great for cardinals fans uh but i'm with you if they sort of lose hope for uh sneaking into the playoffs it's time to shut them down
1: and protect that shoulder yeah because if they lose this week your best case scenario is nine and seven and your most likely scenario is eight and eight it it ain't worth it (laughs) it is not worth hurting kyler murray for that It just isn't. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, Next game, Colts-Texans. This was a heartbreaker for me because they were inside the 10-yard line, you know, final minute, and then Nick Martin throws a ground ball of a snap to Deshaun Watson. He can't jump on it. And, of course, Martin also missed his block. Uh, He got backdoored by Grover Cleveland at the exact same time. Uh, and then, uh, Grover or Grover Stewart, I mean, not Grover Cleveland, not the president. I was like, wow, that guy, (laughs) he's having a
0: tremendous performance as a ghost. Hey, I've had a lot of whiskey today. (laughs) Nah, it's all right. I am, Uh, I am on my third straight podcast tonight and, and starting to feel it as well. But, uh, Buckner played out of his mind in this game. Uh, we talked about it a little bit before the podcast, how you were talking about the interior of the offensive Texans line, uh, Texans offensive line, not really holding up, but that's a little bit of the players they have. They're not holding up and a little bit of Buckner playing just like a maniac. He was a force. He wrecked things in this particular game. So, uh, you know, there, there are other credits to give out, but, uh, yeah, Buckner looked very much on that sort of dominant early season pace that we saw him on.
1: Yeah, I just, that whole Colts interior line destroyed the Texans interior. They gave up a combined eight pressures from the left guard position because there's a rotation right now uh, with Senio Calimente, um and, uh, uh, God, who's the kid they just drafted in the second round a couple of years ago? I'm blanking on my own left guard. Uh, either way, they, they were doing a rotation at left guard and then Zach Fulton was playing right guard and... They gave up double digit pressures from combined from both guard spots, which was just awful. Buckner was killing him. Grover Stewart got his name correct. This time was killing him. Nick Martin got absolutely destroyed, especially in the last play of the game where uh, he did the bad snap. And then Stewart jumped on the ball and ended it right then and there. Deshaun did everything he could, which he usually does uh, to keep this game competitive. And yeah, I mean, one of the three best quarterbacks in the league, it's, my homes it's rogers and it's him in my opinion like it's if you're you adding everything about,
0: up and what he brings to the team yeah it's hard to keep him out of that
1: that particular and especially just with what he has around him oh god which is nothing you know, rogers <laughs> has a great offensive yeah. line and devonte uh you know pat has everything that pat has and also we're including coaching staffs in this too like Deshaun has an interim coach and his number one receiver is Brandon Cooks.
0: Yeah, i like, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. Uh big shout out to Justin Houston in this one. Uh he is a bootleg shot of the week nominee. Huge strip sack of the aforementioned Deshaun Watson. Uh but the Texas got it Texans got it back, but it was a big hit, big play. Twelve minutes to go in the fourth quarter, if you want to look it up. Uh, and then, uh, Houston ends, uh, gets Watson for a safety inside stunt easy as later in the game. So Justin Houston, big shout out, big strip sack, big safety, but as much impact as you can make on the defensive side
1: of the ball. Yeah. He had a monster day. That whole Colts front front, excuse me, had a, uh, had a monster day and this is not a bad pass protecting line at the tackle position, but Houston was giving them both of them, Tunsell and Howard. He was giving them all they could handle. It was kind of a vintage day from him. Kind of good to see him, you know, have a, you know, was it 2012, 2013, when he had like 20 sacks, kind of go back to that for a week of being that dominant Justin Houston that we all knew and loved. Uh, Just a monster performance. Yeah, he made noise for sure. Uh, But yeah, overall heartbreaking game. Colts are still a good team when they're healthy. They're getting all their guys back now. and. As long as Rivers doesn't turn the ball over, I'm telling you, man, the run game here, the, the defense, the, the weapons they've got outside, if they can just kind of rely on Yak City and, and ball control and playing defense, they can go far. Like, I I truly think they could be the best team in this division if they just rely on that formula and if Phil doesn't turn the ball over. <laughs> if and if. <laughs> if and if. I know it's a big if. I know it's a big if. But we still got four more games to, to test that theory now that they're getting all their guys back. I'm, I'm pretty stoked to see what happens moving on to our next game browns titans damn cleveland 38 first half points baker was dealing uh the titans have no pass rush which against that offensive line which is one of the best pass protecting lines in the league i mean baker had all day and it was also kind of the first game in a month that cleveland was playing that wasn't in terrible weather so we saw what what it looks like when Baker's protected and when he's not fighting against gale force winds and hail and rain and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he was dealing. Uh, his weapons were roasting these Titans DBs out there. Donovan Peoples-Jones had a great uh, kind of stutter-go touchdown where he just, I, I don't even know what corner he killed, but uh, he left him in the dust by 20 yards. Uh, and uh, Jarvis had a really nice touchdown at the back of the end zone again kind of just using his eyes to manipulate the DB and gave a little shimmy at the top and then skirted along the back of the end zone on on, I guess you could call it a dig but it wasn't really a dig route Uh, but yeah man this this Cleveland offense was firing on all cylinders and when they are when everybody's healthy when the weather's good when Baker's protected uh, this this system is really 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 effective
0: yeah and the The Browns really hit on all cylinders all day long. The Browns forced a fumble from Derrick Henry early. They recovered. They were back in business. Even at the end of the half, there was a heave play. They forced a fumble on that. They were just, everybody was trying to get in on the action because the offense was stomping. And a lot of it comes from hard play action. And Baker, when he is most effective, is giving hard play action fakes. And we talked about this before the podcast. He and Kirk Cousins are two of the best, if not the best, in the league at that particular skill. Really hard, well-executed, hard play-action fakes where they hold the ball and they generate themselves anywhere between a half-second and a second-and-a-half of basically free space and free time to usually roll out and find a target. And when Mayfield is on, it's this is peak Baker, right? Even on the scramble, mm-hmm. all day long, really accurate, just stealing dimes and just busting the titans uh again that many that sort of avalanche of first half points made it so this game was never going to be all that close uh and baker and that hard play action fake really good one on the goal line for the landry td that was off a hard play action fake another hard double fake on the goal line by mayfield and he tossed it to the tackle eligible that was kendall lamb for the td that was their sort of One of their two trick plays this week. Seems like Stefanski runs at least one trick play a week. And then the other one was that 75-yarder to DPJ. Really hard play action, fake, corner bit. That was it. DPJ was all alone. He was like 10 yards open when Baker hit him um, for that super long touchdown. So all of that stuff coming off hard play action. And Baker is the perfect actor for that because he's even fooling the cameraman about half the time.
1: And his part of it is just because his footwork, even when he was coming out of OU, like that was one of the main things I really liked about him. He's got quick feet, like really quick feet. He's, he's just very precise with his footwork. Um, he's got kind of a low center of gravity. So when he changes direction, it's quick. Like he's not, he doesn't lumber in the pocket, you know, like a giraffe shaped Mike Glennon. Like when he puts his foot in the ground and climbs the pocket, he climbs the pocket. When he needs to shuffle, he shuffles like, He's he's really good at moving in and around pressure. Um and uh, you know, well he wasn't really pressured that much in this game because the Titans pass rush is terrible. They only have I think it's like 14 sacks on the year, which is second worst in the league. Seems like Seattle gets that in 2 weeks these I was days. Say, so and
0: Simmons has like 6 of them.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, it's man. it's bad. And so when you match up this kind of pass rush which this with this kind of offensive line with a quarterback that is Really, really quick getting in and out and away from pressure. Like, Baker has his faults, but, you know, pocket maneuverability is not one of them. Uh, yeah, this was, a, this was a recipe for disaster. They were four and a half point underdogs in this game. I picked them to win. I did not expect them to blow them out. I really didn't. Like, I thought it was a good matchup for Cleveland. I didn't expect this. So, hell of a, hell of a performance for them. Now that we're seeing them play in a little bit better weather... Ironically, in December, now that we're seeing them playing a little bit better weather, now that they're kind of getting guys back, you know, they got Miles Garrett back off the COVID list. Um, It's I I think um, who's the who's the right guard? that's actually actually Wyatt Teller people, Wyatt Teller. um, You know, he was back this week and he didn't have. A great game by his standards, but it was still uh, by every other guard standards. It was a very, very good game, but you know, they're getting all their best players back and we're finally starting to see the full potential of this team and they are scary, man. They're really scary. I'm excited to see what they do uh, when they rematch against Pittsburgh. And I think they have another game coming up against Baltimore this coming Monday, if I remember correctly, where they got stomped by Baltimore the first time, but This is a whole different Browns team, whole different Browns team. And I, I think they have a legitimate shot to, uh, to beat them and at least get in position to kind of secure a wildcard berth here.
0: Yeah, that would be a signature win for them. And I think they can absolutely do it. Ravens have been stumbling a little bit of late and the Browns, like you said, are starting to come together really on multiple fronts, uh, weather is obviously not controllable, but, uh, in terms of play calling in terms of personnel, uh, balance, right. They've been relying on the run really, really heavily, which why wouldn't you, when you've got, you know, Nick Chubb and Kareem hunt, but, uh, they've, you know, the passing game started to come together. The play action game therefore is working that much better. Um, this was, it felt a little bit like the Patriots game, this week right where we saw a team Mm -hmm. that had a bunch of ideas and they all worked in the same week that was cleveland this week (laughs) and the patriots this week as well
1: yeah uh why don't we move on to broncos chiefs which i mean even if the browns make the playoffs all roads go through kansas city at this point and they proved once again that even when things don't go exactly correct for them they have the largest margin of error in the entire NFL, because they have Pat Mahomes, you know you're you're getting field goals over and over and over again. You know Denver's really tightening up in the red zone, and then it comes in the fourth quarter. Travis Kelsey's just ripping off third down after third down after third down, uh, and then they were able to pull away in the end. But it, it, this this was a very mistake laden game for the Chiefs. Penalties, drops galore. Uh, Just mistakes in protection. Like It was not a clean game for them, and yet it still felt like a win was never in doubt. And that is the Chiefs these days. Like They have the biggest margin for error in the league, and it's not even close.
0: Yeah, this is going to be one of the most studied games out there when the playoffs come. And folks are trying to match up against the Chiefs, uh, which is going to happen. Chiefs have already secured their playoff berth. The thing that goes underrated possibly in this game is that the Broncos held the Chiefs, the most prolific offense in the league, to field goals. I highlighted every piece of the notes where they, Casey answers with three. They settle for three. Denver holds them again and they only get three. Casey only gets three again. They leave 12 to 10. Another field goal, right? Even at the end, 22 to 16. Like, people are going to look at what Denver did to the Chiefs. They're certainly going to see what the Chiefs did to themselves, but they're going to look at what Denver did to the Chiefs and say, how can we do that? Because there isn't any hope to stop the KC offense completely, if anything this day proved that. But how can you slow them down enough so you have a chance at the end of the game and you're not down by three scores in the fourth quarter? If you can slow them down, you've got a chance against them. And Denver produced a little bit of a blueprint here to say this is what we did to slow them down now whether or not a particular team matching up against them in the playoffs has that personnel or is able to scheme it that way or just gets lucky enough that KC shoots themselves in the foot a little bit remains to be seen but a lot of people are going to be watching this film come playoff time to make sure that they're doing everything they can that the Broncos did because the Broncos really blunted what has been an offensive juggernaut up to this point Uh, But you're right. At the end, Mahomes hit his groove. I wrote, starts producing some things out of nothing, which is a Mahomes trademark, and they sort of marched away at the end and, and pulled out a victory. But in general, the fact that the Broncos held them for a field goal five times is pretty
1: remarkable. The number one team that the Chiefs, let's just say they make the Super Bowl. I'm not saying they will but there's a decent chance at this point that it happens because they're the best team in the AFC. Let's just say they make the Super Bowl. The number one team they do not want to see is the Los Angeles Rams because they run a very, very similar defense to what the Broncos do. And in fact, when you look at like rate of playing two high safeties, the Rams and the Broncos are the only two teams. Keep in mind, Brandon Staley is a Vic Fangio disciple. I was going to say, the there's a reason
0: for all of this.
1: There's a reason for that. They are the only two teams in the league that run two high safeties on 60% or more of their defensive snaps and employ light boxes on 75% or more of their defensive snaps. And so what that means is they are playing from the top down. It's a lot of quarters coverage. They're taking away the deep ball first and foremost, which is what Kansas City does. And they're daring you to run the ball because mathematically speaking... Yards per attempt on the ground are almost always going to be lower than yards per attempt through the air. Running the ball statistically is a less efficient offensive play. I was going to say so, so what you're
0: saying is it's a modern defense. Oh, it's a modern defense.
1: (laughs) Yes, and you see it a lot in the college ranks where it's too high all over the place. It's three three five all over the place. It's tight fronts galore. And what,
0: what Casey's going to have to do if that happens is go back to that Clyde Edwards-Alaire game that we saw yes. earlier in the year and blow people off the ball and, and run the ball. And they've shown they can do it. They've sort of slow played that. They've sort of hidden that throughout the last several weeks. But I think they've got that in their pocket for just such an occasion right if they come up a team against a team like the broncos or like the rams they understand that they can run the ball it'll be interesting to see if they can do that late in the season in the bad
1: weather too and the big thing is is andy reed willing to stick with it because traditionally andy is not somebody that sticks with the run game he wants to throw and throw a especially lot in <laughs> especially in the playoffs especially in the playoffs he wants to keep the ball in the hands of his best player. That's Pat Mahomes. The Broncos are banking on that. They want you to throw. They want you to check it down so they can come up and rally and tackle. And if you throw deep, they have one of, if not the best, free safety in the league in Simmons that can go over there and pick it off. And he almost got one in this game. It was close. Pack. Super close. He was close. But when you look at defensively, of passing snaps over the last six seasons, this was a study that Pro Football Focus did, 60% of passing snaps come against single-high defensive structures. That has been the meta in the NFL for a long time, spurned by the cover three revolution from the Seahawks, which is we're playing cover one, we're playing cover three. Uh, And as that started to happen, teams started relying more on deep crossing routes and stuff that puts single-high safeties in conflict. Again, Pro Football Focus did a study on this, and I'm going to be doing a video on it inspired by an article from my buddy, Coach Cody Alexander. 76% of crossing routes are thrown against single high defenses. What are the Chiefs known for? Hitting Tyreek and Travis Kelsey on these deep crossing routes where they got wide open space. Against a too high defensive structure, you're not going to hit those. And you have to basically, in order to beat that, you got to sit in the pocket all day long and try to hit like dagger or mills or something like that, that takes forever. So Pat has to do his kind of whole back pedal, back, 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 and then chuck it deep, which he can do it, but the success rate isn't super high. Yeah. So again, it was a brilliant defense, uh, defensive plan from the Broncos of, we're playing too high, we're daring you to run, we're going to stop the deep ball, see if you can beat us. And They were able to hold them to field goals. And that's why I think if they go up against the Rams, that's the worst case scenario for them in the Super Bowl because they do the same thing, but they do it so much better. And I think the Rams could actually beat the Chiefs if they played today. Huh. That's really interesting. Yeah, I love
0: love that perspective. And we'll see. That's what we get to look forward to as football fans. But we should probably get on to another piece of ass-kicking. (laughs) <laughs> There's no other way to keep around <laughs> that. Pat's oh, Chargers. Um, so yeah. Patriots go on the road. Patriots have not put a complete game together pretty much, it feels like all season. They've either had one half or the other play well or neither, which has been very uh shocking, I think, for Patriots fans. Um, not used to that at all. Coach making excuses a little bit earlier in the year. That is certainly not something New England is used to. Um, but boy, the Patriots just took it to the chargers in every conceivable way. Um, got to Herbert early for a sack, um, chargers missed the field goal. And then Gunnar Olszewski, who's not a player. I think we've mentioned on the podcast before had a freaking day, 70 yards for the punt return TD, um, ripped off another huge punt return later. And then really late in the game, takes a little in route, breaks it 38 yards for a TD, Gunnar Olszewski went off and so did the rest of the Patriots at the same time. Speaking of senior bowl alumni, Josh Uche got into the act, getting a sack on Herbert. Um, Cam was cam of old, uh, willed one in for a TD on the QB delay, just pure size and push on that one. At that point, they were up 21 to nothing. Uh, Pat's returned a field goal that they blocked right before half um Herbert threw a pick to Winovich. <laughs> I had to check my notes on that. I was like, <laughs> "Wait, he threw a pick
1: to It was a who? great play by him too. I mean, he's, he it was a beautiful uh, play. It was it was kind of like a play action th- like it wasn't a bootleg, but it was like a play action like like they were faking like they were rolling the pocket and then trying to hit a shallow cross behind it. And uh Chase just read it all the way. He's like, "Look, if you're rolling away from me, there's a decent chance I got a guy coming my way." So we just drop back in the lane. Herbert didn't even see him. Just threw it right to him. Yeah, threw it right in the chest.
0: Definitely didn't see him until too late. Came in from the opposite side. Um, Cam ripped one to N'Keel Harry. A guy we haven't talked about hardly at all for a short TD. They were up 35-0 at that point. Finally, Herbert unloads one in the second half to Guyton for a long gain, which we're so used to seeing him do that with regularity. It felt like a huge drought. It was only actually about a half of football. Um, But then very quickly after that he's too long and jc jackson picked him off he was looking for a receiver that was in between two levels of coverage jackson was the deep guy herbert put a little bit of extra float on it jackson picked it off um adam butler tossed a sack and pats went up 45 nothing uh by the end and it's just an all-around thrashing by a team hitting on all cylinders offense defense special teams in a a very Belichickian mode, all playing together in unison, and they just ground the Chargers into dust.
1: It was a very interesting Belichickian defensive game plan, too, because what are the Chargers good at? Beating man coverage. You got a post-up guy in Mike Williams. You got Keenan Allen, who shreds man coverage with route running. Austin Eckler can beat pretty much any linebacker. You throw at him in man coverage. Guyton's got speed. Uh, Henry's a good receiving tight end. Like they thrive on beating man coverage and especially beating man coverage under pressure on paper. You would think that the Patriots would be a pretty bad matchup against the chargers because they do a lot of man coverage and they have to do a lot of pressure because they can't get any pressure with four. Like they don't have a great pass rush. So you would think on paper that the chargers would be able to tear them up, but Belichick being Belichick knows I'm not going to play into their hand. I'm not going to put my guys out on islands uh, where Herbert can just retreat and then use his cannon for an arm to throw up jump balls that Mike Williams can pay off. Because when you look at Herbert's best performances, again, a lot of it is taking shots deep against man coverage with no safety help under pressure. I'm not going to play into that. So we played match quarters, kind of similar to what the Broncos were doing to the Chiefs. I'm playing too high. I'm daring you to run with Austin Eckler uh, because I think that they, they can probably match six for six and run defense a lot easier than they can do it in 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 the pass rush much better run defenders than pass rushers so he's like okay i'm gonna give you a light box dare you to run if you go three by one meaning you got you know trips to one side and then an isolated receiver i'll put my best corner Stephon gilmore on the isolated receiver and then i'm gonna double uh you know the keenan allen on the other side and then dare you to beat me they couldn't do it if you go two by two i'll just have gilmore follow keenan keenan and then double everybody else. Dare you to beat me. They couldn't. And they weren't really throwing pressure at him. They weren't really throwing man coverage at him. At least not traditional man coverage. It was more like match zone coverage. And uh, they just, they couldn't beat it. They couldn't throw deep. Uh, they, they couldn't really run the ball effectively. At least effectively, as effectively as they wanted. Just a brilliant, brilliant game plan to zig when the Chargers probably expected them to zag. And they had no answer. They they really didn't, and um, by the end of the game, I was kind of saying on Twitter, it's like you guys got to pull Justin out of this game because it's not doing him any good. <laughs> it really wasn't. He was getting crushed.
0: Yeah, if you'd lost Herbert to any kind of injury, I don't care if he hit his thumb on a helmet, there would have been intense scrutiny on Anthony Lynn and his staff for. Keeping a guy, a rookie, uh, in a game when he's down 35 to nothing and clearly going to lose the game, like, get him out of there, right? I have the feeling mm-hmm. Tyrod Taylor's recovered by now. Like, there's no shame in throwing him in there and sitting Justin Herbert down and going, so now you've met Bill, <laughs> um, you know, next time we'll we'll see if we can't scheme something up better for you based on this, but, uh, yeah, have a, you know, have a fresca and, and chill out. Um, this one's over. Uh, and they didn't, and they got lucky. They didn't lose him to an injury, but they certainly could have. So great job by the Patriots. Um, uh, just a very, very complete game, uh, from them. And that moves us on to the Raiders and the jets, which was not a complete game, but it was a completely interesting game. Um, the end of this game got a lot of scrutiny, uh, had a lot of conversation, got a defensive coordinator fired. Um, we'll talk about that in a bit, but we're going to talk about what led up to it first. And if Mackay Beckton has a kryptonite, it's Clellan Farrell? <laughs> yeah. Like, didn't see the that one coming. Weirdest statement ever, <laughs> but it's true. Clellan Farrell. Beat the brakes off Mekhi Becton. Um, uh, Cleland Feller got around the corner. Strip sack Darnold. Las Vegas recovers. Raiders got a field goal out of that one. Uh, Trayvon Mullen, guy we both liked at corner. Picked Darnold on a hook route. Great play. Uh, cut underneath it. Um the Jets had no answer for one Darren Waller which is really interesting because Waller is a primary target on the Raiders offense certainly somebody you'd be game planning for he had over 200 yards in this game the Jets just had nothing for Waller and uh given that you'd think the Raiders walked in this one right that they absolutely stomped the Jets I'm sure that's what all the betting lines had uh previous to this game uh it it didn't turn out that way nope it didn't turn out that way it turned out that the raiders needed a very uh they needed an incredibly lucky heave against uh an unfortunately called zero blitz at the end of the game to win this now if you'd said that a month ago that that's what the raiders were going to need to beat the jets everybody would have called you insane but that's exactly the way that it played out. Um, we can talk a little bit about what happened at the end of the game, but before we get there, uh, I want to talk about a quarterback working himself into the bootleg shot of the week nomination. Sam Darnold absolutely trucks, Jeff Heath plunging in for the, the score uh 10 25 left in the fourth quarter with a bad shoulder too (laughs) ran him over and left him uh i don't want to say lifeless because that was not true uh left him um (laughs) considering whether or not he wanted to get up again on the goal line when darnold went in to score um pretty rare we've had a couple of offensive players that have been featured we have chris carson this week as well we had james robinson earlier in the year uh but pretty rare that a quarterback running into the end zone, especially one of Darnold's stature, not one of Cam Newton's stature, gets himself a bootleg shot of the week nomination, but he absolutely did on this one. Um, also had a Denzel Mims sighting for a two point conversion. Um, Ty Johnson had a great game, uh, over hundred yards in this one, uh, score, um, really powered the jets running offense. Uh, Ty Johnson, probably not, a. A name that a lot of casual fans outside of the New York market know um, had a very, very good game. Um, but what it comes down to is Raiders fail on fourth and three and give it back to the Jets with one thirty-seven left. If you said that almost any other week, you're like, oh look, Buck thirty-seven, they just gave it back. That's that's ball game. They're they're not going to win. And honestly, that's probably what should have happened. But
1: what did happen in your eyes? So I saw an interesting point on Twitter that I I kind of agree with on this whole, why are you calling zero blitz? Which, if it was me, I would not have called zero um, <laughs> at all. There was a, a, a kind of a, an exchange on coaching Twitter of like, the best way to do it is to call a coverage that the Patriots call five sideline, which is basically you're playing... Uh, three deep defenders if it's cover three and then man coverage everywhere else and you're rushing like two guys and uh, it's basically like okay we're playing man coverage so that you can't just do like what the Chiefs did with Tyreek a few years back and turn it into a punt return like if if you catch the ball underneath we're going to attack you immediately but we're going to have three guys deep just in case you are throwing a Hail Mary that's like the established what you do in this scenario but The point that I saw on Twitter was that zero isn't an awful call because the mindset of it is they're not going to have time to throw deep anyway. Right. So when Ruggs got him on that double move, like the the thing was like, well, of course he's going to bite on it because it's zero. He's expecting the ball to be out at that point anyway. Like he doesn't expect Carr to be able to avoid pressure, climb the pocket and get the throw off anyway. Like if you want to blame anything... Blame the fact that the pressure didn't get. Yeah, up. blame the rushers because it's you know, you're getting a free guy like that's what the point of zero is. You get a free guy to eliminate the time for car to throw deep to the end zone. And yet he was still able to throw deep to the end zone because he was able to avoid pressure and climb the pocket. So it's like, yeah, was the call great? No. Do I understand why he did it? Yes, to a degree. Would I have done it? No, but the execution was bad. If the execution was better, we're not even having this conversation. Nope. Derek Carr gets sacked. Game over. So it is what it is. And um, was Greg Williams going to get fired at the end of the season anyway? Yeah. So it's not really like a, it's a huge slight against him or anything like that. He's going to get fired no matter what. He only had a month left on the job anyway. Like, I'm not crying tears for Greg Williams. But I do understand why he made that call. That's what he does. He calls zero blitz. That's his thing. Yeah,
0: (laughs) that was the point I read off Twitter is, you know, if Greg Williams was going to go down in a blaze of glory, he was going to go down a blaze of glory with zero. And that's probably the most fitting thing ever. Um, You know, if he'd rushed three and and card found seven seconds and then heaved up a Hail Mary that was successful, that would have been sort of the anti Greg Williams. So, you know, he went out. Uh, like he'd want to go out and like you said maybe a month earlier but none sooner uh he was definitely going to leave at the end of the season with the rest of the coaching staff anyways so a bit of a scapegoat a very interesting result and you know there's a lot of speculation about the tank right about greg williams just saved the jets trevor lawrence right that they get the, the opportunity to pick trevor lawrence now um couldn't be further from the truth. Greg uh, Williams is a teeth through the floorboards kind of defensive coordinator. He is never going to give that up. Players on the field with the possibility of being injured and careers as short as they are, they're, they're not in for like, oh, let's all just uh, mail it in for the next month so we can get this kid out of Clemson to come save us, us adult men that get paid yeah. to play football. Um, that is not the way NFL locker rooms work. Um executives might tank um coaches if they have a ton of security might tank but players are not going to tank um yeah they're they're
1: good enough at losing on their own they don't need to try yeah
0: not not a thing so that gets us through all all the games we're going to talk about uh if we didn't talk about your team's game it's because we hate them (laughs) not true uh That's what we get every week on Twitter. Why do you hate my team? You didn't mention them. Like, we didn't talk about the Chicago-Detroit game, like, because it was abysmal. And, you know, Chicago showed some improvement. Which I I will say, we haven't
1: talked about the Bears. You know, we we haven't talked about the Bears in a while. I I, I do want to chime in here and say that we will talk about Texans Bears next week. I am promising you right now we will talk about Texans Bears next week.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's no way cosmically to avoid that, that, that shit show will have to be, that revolution will be televised. Uh, so we will talk about it, but our bootleg shot of the week summary from this week, Shaq Lawson with the big blindside sack, uh, Justin Houston with his huge strip sack of Watson, uh, in the Texans game, uh, Jabril Peppers with a Big shot on Tyler Lockett right at the beginning of the game, about two minutes in. And the very next play, Chris Carson trucking the snot out of Jabril Peppers. So there's a nice back-to-back combo involving the same player. Sam Darnold trucking Jeff Heath right at the goal line, running him over. Um, That was 10.25 left in the fourth quarter. And then one we didn't mention, uh, Vernon Butler. This is the Bills-San Francisco game, and he stoned Tevin Coleman on the goal line. Uh, go ahead and look it up 752 left in the fourth quarter vernon butler comes through and smacks the snot out of tevin coleman just drops him in his tracks right about the four i think the snap was about the two yard line so they lost a couple of yards um vernon butler's had a very up and down career this was a positive rep for mr butler let's just say that
1: yeah uh, <laughs> you could say positive rep. uh he absolutely crushed tevin coleman i don't even i i didn't see the beginning of the play i don't know if he slipped a block or they forgot to block him but tevin tevin got the worst end of that one he got crushed Uh, Yeah,
0: Tevin thought he had a pretty fine opening. Uh, Vernon actually came off a block. He did get blocked, but uh, it was a bit of a late developing run. Um, run from a, a slightly deeper set, not a pistol. And he ran smack into a 300 pound guy that was very, very interested in making sure he didn't make any more progress. So uh, <laughs> those are the bootleg shot of the week nominees. We will post them on the YouTube page. Keep voting. Uh, you guys' participation in that one has been fantastic. Again, keep dropping your comments on the YouTube page. Interact with Brett or I on Twitter. We are going to get ourselves out of here. I am wrapping up a marathon podcast session tonight. This is the third one in a row that i've booked so i'm gonna pass out after this what are you gonna do
1: uh i'm gonna finish that justin jefferson episode and get it out in the morning as, as God <laughs> <is> my <witness. laughs> famous last words we hope yeah, that's true yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: but until then uh enjoy all the nfl action there is a lot of it the bye weeks are over so we're gonna get full slates from here on out some playoff seating to understand some draft positioning to start uh shaping up who's in who's out it's all pretty fascinating keep watching and we will talk to you soon
1: later